tune in at 3 o'clock on Tuesdays, you've no doubt heard Father Wade Menezes answer all kinds of questions from callers on Open Line. Father Wade is coming to Connecticut in September when he joins Bishop Caggiano as a speaker at the Connecticut Catholic Men's Conference. The theme this year, appropriately, is the Eucharist. And Father Wade joins Let Me Be Frank today as His Excellency's guest, so keep it right here at 1350 AM and 103.9 FM or on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. You can get the app at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or at veritascatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs here in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong formation and discipleship and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad, the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. Welcome back, everybody, to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I am Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, my friend. Hey, Excellency. We have a great show today, I think, right? This, this is going to be cool. I think today's guest will be a familiar voice to many of our listeners. Um, he is the expert question answerer <laughs> uh, every Tuesday on Open Line at 3 o'clock right here on Veritas. It's Father Wade Menezes. He is a member of the Fathers of Mercy, which is a missionary preaching religious congregation based in Auburn, Kentucky. Father Wade was ordained a priest during the great Jubilee year of 2000. He served as the assistant uh, general and as the director of vocations and director of seminarians for the Fathers of Mercy. Father Wade has also served as the chaplain in residence at the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament of Our Lady of the Angels Monastery in Hansville, Alabama. And Father Wade is also a contributing writer for many publications, including the National Catholic Register, Our Sunday Visitor, and Catholic Faith and Family, and many more. And he's also the author of three books, The Four Last Things, Overcoming the Evil Within, and the brand new Hot Off the Presses, Catholic Essentials, A Guide to Understanding Key Church Teachings. And of course, Father Wade will be one of four featured speakers at the Connecticut Catholic Men's Conference this September, along with you, Excellency. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, well, first of all, what, that's an impressive intro, Father Wade, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's all God's work, believe me, Bishop. <laughs> so, I'm just I always... along for the ride. I'm just along for the ride. Oh, yeah, and I'm right with you, my friend. We're right there. Right. As long as the ride gets us to heaven, that's all that matters in the Amen. end. So, so let me ask you this. The Fathers of Mercy, tell us about the congregation first. Okay, I certainly will. Well, we're, we're a, an itinerant community of preachers. Uh, we travel and preach throughout the United States and Canada and Australia. Uh, although Canada and Australia have, have uh, been put on the back burner for a bit during this whole COVID episode, but to God willing, it'll start opening it up again. But we, we preach extensively throughout these three English-speaking countries and preach the week-long parish mission, uh, retreats, uh, conferences. For example, just two weeks ago, I was in uh, uh, St. Louis for the big uh, Catholic family conference there. Uh, father-son retreats, mother-daughter retreats. I just gave the annual canonical retreat, which was a, a full week to the Immaculate Heart of Mary Sisters in Wichita, Kansas. 
So we Fathers of Mercy, we we cater to the need of, of the pastor, the bishop, or the religious superior, or the lay group leader with the permission of the bishop to come in and speak in the diocese. We were founded in 1808, uh, right after the French Revolution, following the havoc and destruction that the French Revolution blew to the faith there. And the original Fathers of Mercy were diocesan men, a mission band of around seven men uh, who were asked by the Archbishop of, of Lyon in France to form a mission band of missionary preachers mm -hmm. to go to the outlying districts to, to begin to preach in an effort to bring the people back to practicing their Catholic faith. Well, this little band of missionary preachers uh, just before 1808 uh, had such success uh, that uh, the bishop asked them to continue on and to form a community. And uh, the, the head of that group of missionary preachers, Father Jean-Baptiste Rosan, is our founder. And by 1839, Pope uh, Gregory XVI uh, officially approved us as a, a pontifical congregation, a, a congregation of pontifical right. So we're a small community. We're, we're under 50 men. Uh, we always have been small. But praise God, you know, with the modern means of transportation, we uh, we can cover a lot of ground with our missions, Absolutely. retreats, and conferences. And uh, I'm I'm happy to say, although I'm I sometimes I'm tired to say it, <laughs> literally physically <laughs> tired. There's no shortage of work. Uh, we Fathers of Mercy book out uh, around uh, anywhere from 12 to 16 months in advance. Wow. And so, for example, as, as you, I'm sure you're aware, uh, Bishop Frank, that uh, Lent and Advent remain the two most mm -hmm. popular seasons for the traditional week-long parish mission, for the missionary to come in and give a series of conferences and talks with Eucharistic adoration and a solemn closing mass on the last day. But now the Easter season, the 50-day Easter season, is also very popular. And, and we Fathers of Mercy credit that to the, the increase of popularity of the Divine Mercy devotion, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. the visions of our Lord to St. Faustina, of course, fully approved by the church. And so now the Easter season really rivals uh, with, with Lent and Advent as a popular mission time. Uh, and, and the two ordinary times in the entire liturgical year, uh, the one after Eastertide and the one after Christmastide, the two ordinary times are really a great time to have a parish mission as well, a week-long parish mission, because you're not competing with anything. The, the, the parish isn't competing with anything, uh, you know, with other devotions, for example, or with, um, you know, holiday shopping and company meetings at the holiday time and all that, which can kind of sometimes pull people away from the mm -hmm. attendance mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. the mission. So ordinary time is a great time to have a parish mm -hmm. mission. But uh, uh, we're, we're very, very thankful uh, for the work we're able to do. Again, there's no shortage of work. I can honestly tell you that while the uh, the week-long parish mission remains the most popular, uh, also the weekend conferences and retreats uh, also remain very, very popular. Mm -hmm. So when do you rest? Yeah, good question. <laughs> well, I'm one of the full-time missionaries, and uh, the full-time missionaries are on the road for an average of about 30 to 32 weeks out of the year. Uh, the remaining 18 to 20 weeks uh, of the 52-week year is our downtime, but that that's peppered throughout the year. So when I come home from two weeks of being on the road, I might have a full week down, and then I go out again for another two weeks, let's say, or maybe a three-week period. Uh, we try to put our men on the road no longer than a three-week period. Uh, mm -hmm. We want life. We want to sustain our community life very much. And we were very good about that here at our generalate house, our main headquarters called our mm -hmm. generalate, 
where our superior general resides, Father David Wilton, uh, here in Auburn, Kentucky, uh, just about 13 miles west of Bowling Green, Kentucky, and just about 55 miles directly north of Nashville. So just as Nashville is uh, north central Tennessee, we're in south central Kentucky. But, uh, you know, I might come home from the road or one of the other full-time missionaries might come home from the road and uh, have just a, a few days of downtime and then we're out again. But we're good about trying to give the guys rests. So. Yeah, because it's extraordinarily important, right? I, I, yeah. I admire anyone who's an itinerant because I've done some traveling and I find it exhausting. Time change, <laughs> time zones, coming wherever you different beds and different places to fall. So now... Going to Australia before COVID, that is one long trip. <laughs> yeah, it's right? about 15 and, a half, 15 and a half hours going over. And thank goodness for tailwind, it's about 13 and a half hours coming back. <laughs> right, exactly. No, but, so it's, uh, it's sacrificial. My point is, yeah. um, it, it, and to state the obvious, your ministry is sacrificial to be able to do this, right? To offer well, this yeah. word, right? Yeah, I, I would say, yes, it is. And, you know, we, we believe as, as Catholics in our whole uh, theology of consecrated life, uh, this goes for the women as well, that, you know, should they make it through formation, through their years of formation, it, it's, it's the church's seal of approval through the eyes and minds of the respective formators and superiors over the individual that, that this individual has indeed been called to this particular charism. And I think that's a, you know, and, and we can say this even outside of religious orders and consecrated life. So yourself as a bishop, mm -hmm. you know, you, you have been called to that life. And so uh, we praise God that the graces are there for the specific charism that we're called to, you know, husbands and fathers, wives and mothers, uh, single, young, single people, older, single people, widows and widowers. God gives us the grace for the particular state of office that we're in. But, but uh, for consecrated life, this is a very, very dear mm -hmm. teaching church. So, you know, it's funny how many, how many fathers of mercy are uh, either firstborns, <laughs> only borns, or uh, very choleric in their temperament. So, so, <laughs> so oh, I so, love it. <laughs> so that grace it, builds it on nature. Huh? Yeah, it does take a certain breed, if you will, to, to yes. have a backbone of steel for the mission man. <laughs> I would think so. So now allow me a personal question, which you can answer any way you wish. But when there's, when a priest comes on, um, I think it's really beneficial um, and a source of reflection for our listeners to hear their vocation story. So oh. would you would you be comfortable sharing yours? Sure. You know, when people ask me that question, even on the mission band, you know, I'll have parishioners ask me throughout the week what my vocation story is. And my first response is it's really nothing extraordinary. It's really quite ordinary. Um, I'm I'm one of five children. Uh, praise God, my four other siblings all practice the faith with their spouses. I'm very, very fortunate in that regard. And, and we all credit that to mom and dad, who are now both deceased, God rest their souls. Um, I'm like St. Therese. There's a famous quote by St. Therese of Lisieux. She says, quote, God gave me a mother and father more worthy of heaven than of earth. And indeed, she was prophetic in that quote because uh, uh, her parents, Louis and Zélie Martin, are, are now saints of the church, you know, canonized saints of the church. And, uh, you know, I credit my folks, uh, their own humble beginnings. Uh, my dad came from the Azores, the, the islands, the Portuguese islands of the Azores in the mid-Atlantic. My mother was second generation Portuguese, uh, farming families. Uh, they had nothing when they started. 
my dad was a hired milker and over over the years my parents established their own dairy operation so i grew up on a dairy a dairy farm uh, I, you can see some John Deere's behind me, I think, here on the shelf. <laughs> but, um, uh, oh, yes, I my, do, actually. I do. Yeah, a very small yeah. one. <laughs> uh, my brothers, in some capacity, remain in the agricultural industry, whether it's through auctioneering or, or real estate and farm brokerage, et cetera, or, or hauling agricultural commodities. My youngest brother has his own ag hauling business to the dairies. So we're all involved some way still, uh, but, but, the, but we don't have a dairy anymore. Uh, per se, well, that the dairy was sold years ago. But, uh, you know, I credit that good, strong Catholic upbringing where the faith was always present in the house as well. And uh, for myself, one thing led to another. You know, I, I was already 27 years old when I started discerning for the priesthood. And my first visit to the Fathers of Mercy just to discern my vocation um, was at age 27. And then I entered and made my 28th birthday in novitiate. So I had a great spiritual director who at the time was a diocesan priest in my home diocese of Stockton, California. I was born and raised in Modesto, California. Now, my former spiritual director is a member of a religious order, the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter. And uh, he, he guided me excellently uh, to look at different dioceses and or religious orders, uh, you know, asking me what my interest was. I was very involved with 4-H and FFA, Future Farmers of America. I started freelancing on the side as a writer. One thing led to another. I found myself as a young man freelancing for the National Catholic Press with with like the National Catholic Register and our Sunday visitor. So here's the nutshell then, after given that layout, here's the nutshell. Uh, you know, again, practicing the faith regularly like I did, great credit to my parents and, and good holy priests in my life, especially the one who became my spiritual director. Uh, you can only leave the confessional so many times. And I went to confession once a month faithfully, like everyone in my family did. You can only leave the confessional so many times with the priest as you're exiting. After he's given you absolution, he happens to ask you as you're walking out. Hey, young man, by the way, you ever think about being a priest? No, Father, I haven't. Have a nice day. God bless you. And walk out the confessional the rest of the way. Exactly. And that's, and that's what happened. But after, but after being asked that question seven or eight times, I stopped and I thought, well, I don't know, Father. Yeah, maybe I have, you know. So, you know, I did the college scene, the dating scene, the, the public works th uh, scene, uh, worked for the State Department of, of Agriculture in California in, in the heart of the capital city of Sacramento, uh, worked also for the State Farm Bureau Association, all in, in uh, communications and media. So God has a sense of humor because he not only called me to the priesthood, but he's, he's made sure that, you know, my natural interests are able to be employed for his greater glory, both in print and broadcast media. So never doubt what God can do with your life. But but I would say a, a strong Catholic upbringing, a great work ethic in a farming family, wonderful parents and siblings, mm -hmm. great priests in my life. My boyhood pastor uh, celebrated his 69th priestly ordination wow. anniversary, and he died soon after that. Wow. But just wonderful, wonderful man who was a priest of the Diocese of, of, of Stockton in, in California. So there you have it, you know, and, and any young man out there, Bishop Frank, I like to say, if, if you think that God might be calling you, don't hesitate to visit. Do a come and see weekend with the diocese. Do a come and see weekend with the religious order, whether active or contemplative. Uh, there's nothing to lose. It can make you a better married man. It can make you a better single man living in the world by having that experience of at least doing some come and see weekends and discerning your vocation.
Without a doubt. Thank you for saying that. Absolutely. And, you know, your your story um, also illustrates the fact for the young men who may be listening or parents who have sons who exhibit some of the qualities that we normally traditionally would say, yeah, this man is this. He could be my son could actually be being called to the priesthood. Your story, like so many others who have come on the podcast, indicate how God also takes your natural gifts and use them for his work. So I always say to the young men, priesthood is really an adventure in many ways. It's sacred adventure because there's a commonality of our ministry, but even in diocesan priesthood, but even in diocesan priesthood, as we move to much more of a missionary culture. Yeah. Um, they have, those gifts and talents are going to be used. If you offer them, if God's calling you, he's used, he's calling all of you to his work. So yeah. sometimes the response I get back from young men is, well, then what does a priest do? Well, that's the adventure. You will see what God will do for you and, and yeah. with you. Right. And he'll, and he'll use your natural, not only your talents, but your natural interests. You know, mm-hmm. uh, when I was vocation director for the fathers of mercy, if I had a, a young man who came and visited us, but discerned more diocesan rather than religious order, I would ask him, well, what's your interest? Well, I love to hunt. Well, have you thought about uh, looking at dioceses in Montana? Have you thought about looking at dioceses in Utah or Idaho? Great hunting region. You gotta, you gotta uh, uh, fulfill your own natural talents and interests for the Lord, but also for yourself. And thirdly, for the people you're gonna be serving. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Maybe theater, the opera, whatever. Have you thought about a, a discerning process with a, a, a diocese on the East Coast in one of the larger cities, if that's a natural interest? Because, you know, we don't become isolated robots as priests. There's still the natural gifts. There's the natural mm-hmm. talents. There's the mm-hmm. natural interests. So whatever those are, you can plug those into your priesthood for love of God, love of yourself, because a lot of people don't love themselves in today's culture. And you can't give to another what you don't first possess. So for love of God, love of yourself, love of the people you serve, and love of your own natural talents and interests, get as, as I said at the very beginning in our opening uh, introductions, uh, I'm only along for the ride. You know, I, I'm here for the ride. And God, God's, you know, the, the, the bumper sticker that says God is my co-pilot. No, 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 no. I'm the co-pilot. God's my pilot. Right. Okay, God's my pilot. I'm the co-pilot. And I want God as the primary mover, capital P, capital M, in my life, the primary mover of grace. I want him to be leading me. I came across a, a great quote once. It said this. It said, if you truly, sincerely, with purposeful intent and deliberate will involve the three divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in your daily, daily spiritual life, uh, foster a real strong with purposeful intent, a Trinitarian spirituality of all three divine persons. You can accomplish more by accident than what you set out to do on purpose. Amen. Amen. And, and I, I'm a living example of that. You know, I, I, I have a, a strong Trinitarian spirituality. And and I'm telling you, when I think that that this road's closed for this, you know, I'm going to miss a flight for some reason because there's a traffic jam on the way to the Nashville airport or whatever. No, something ends up working out for the better that it would it worked out just how it needed to work out. Right. Know? Right. And that's the trust. Right. That's the surrender yeah, to the yeah, greater yeah. providence. Well, let, let's let's break open your work a bit. <clears throat> and before we go to break, the million dollar question is you are a father of mercy. So for a person who has no idea 
what mercy is, what would you say? Oh, oh I, I give the same response every time. Know it by heart. Mercy is God's greatest attribute, the church fathers tell us. Mercy is who God is. It's, it's love's second name. And here's why. God is more interested in our future than in our past. He's more interested in the kind of person we can yet become than in the kind of person maybe we used to be. While indeed taking our sins and faults seriously, no doubt, especially the sins, whether mortal or venial, because they have in some way severed or wounded our relationship with him. He never, ever, ever takes those sins as the last word. Why? Because he knows he's made us in his image and likeness. He knows he calls us constantly to a life of his sanctifying grace, primarily through the seven sacraments, his ordinary channels of grace in our life. And he knows he is our God, number three, who's bigger than any sin we might ever commit, even the most hideous or wicked mortal sin. He's bigger than that. And that is how I describe mercy. He's always interested in our future rather than in our past. The, he's more interested in the kind of person we can yet become than in the kind of person we used to be. And that's the message to get out today, I believe, in what's becoming a more increasingly wounded world. Mm -hmm. You know, I love to tell uh, my people that I preach to, Bishop Frank, that um, as Catholics, uh, we love the world. We want to sanctify the world so much we love it. We want to influence it. We don't want to become reclusivists because things may be getting bad and go under a rock. No, that's not our Vatican II mandate. Our Vatican II mandate, uh, our, our baptismal mandate and our confirmation mandate, especially sustained thirdly by, by the Eucharist, the, the three sacraments of initiation, our baptismal mandate, our confirmation mandate, all the while sustained by the Eucharist is to go out uh, and not not shudder because of how things are, are seemingly becoming. And there's always, always hope. You know, even the cloister communities of prayer. I, I had a, a cloistered nun tell me not too long ago in the parlor, I was talking to her behind the, the grate of, of the cloister grill. And she says, Father, we continue to pray for the salvation of the world and we continue to do so with great joy. No matter how bad things seemingly can get, we can't become negative about our vocation of prayer for the salvation of the world. And this is a cloistered nun telling me this. Right. Now, if a cloistered nun can tell me that, who's behind the monastery wall with a life of prayer, then those of us who are itinerant active orders or mm -hmm. yourself as a bishop uh, with your own traveling, your own speaking, et cetera, or husbands and fathers, wives and mothers, children's in public schools, maybe their children that are in Catholic schools or private schools, no, we still got to be out and be optimistic and take this great message of God's mercy, mm -hmm. dovetailing mm -hmm. back around to God's mercy, take it out to the world. Right. Very well said. And I think it's the message, in fact, that Pope Francis keeps telling us as a church, right, reminding us of that, right? You know, he tells us that that any time, he said this in a recent mm -hmm. Wednesday audience, Pope Francis, when, whenever we celebrate a sacrament, it is a personal, literal meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ and with the Eucharist, a personal literal meeting par excellence. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. where the other six sacraments effect the grace they signify, <clears throat> the Eucharist not only effects the grace it signifies, the Eucharist is what it signifies. It is his body, blood, soul, and divinity. Now, when we have that sustaining us in our work and our apostolate, whatever that may be, single, married, or religious, that's a great comfort to know that truth right there. Absolutely.
Absolutely. And he just wrote, he just penned a beautiful meditation on the liturgy. Um, and I've read half of it. I have not had the time to complete it. But again, he, he speaks of that, of that encounter, right? It is a real, literal encounter with the Lord. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the one that came out promulgated yesterday, I believe. I haven't had a yes. chance to look at it. Yes. I look, it's yep. just in time for uh, us in the United States with our three-year Eucharistic revival. I'm sure it'll fit in very well. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, you know, actually, yeah, I had not thought of that until you just mentioned that. I was just taking it on its own face value. But yeah, it certainly could be an important part of the Eucharistic revival. And the hoped-for renewal of not just the belief in the Eucharist, but what I'm going to call a Eucharistic spirituality that comes from that, right? right? Right, Which is also sometimes lacking. It's almost as if you have this encounter and you encapsulate it in the 45 minutes, an hour, an hour, 15 minutes, whatever it is, and then the rest of your life is unaffected. Well, that can't possibly be. For all the reasons right. you just said, they cannot possibly be. Right. But sadly, you know, at times it is. <clears throat> we were talking about just two nights ago at table here at the Fathers of Mercy, how the three-year revival for ourselves as itinerant preachers <clears throat> shouldn't just be confined per se to the doctrine of transubstantiation itself. It, that, that's a big part of the revival, mm -hmm. but it can't be just that. For example, how we worship, uh, mm -hmm. the, the ars celebrandi, huh, to use the Latin phrase of the art of celebration, but guess what? The art of celebration, as you just alluded to, isn't just with the celebrant. It's also with the congregants in the pews whom, whom Vatican II called to an active, actual participation by, for example, the importance of making that particular willed intention when we come to Mass to want to offer that particular willed intention in union with the priest celebrant's primary intention, whatever his intention happens to be, it's usually listed in the parish bulletin for that day. And, and then at the words of offertory, we hear these beautiful words, pray brethren that my sacrifice and yours, in other words, and your sacrifice laity uh, may be acceptable to God, the almighty father. Well, wait a minute, only a priest can offer sacrifice. So how can the celebrant be saying those words to the laity in the pews? It's because of their baptismal priesthood which is different from the ministerial priesthood that I'm in and that you're in, Bishop, uh, which is a sacrament, the sacrament of holy orders. So the baptismal priesthood of the laity, it, it isn't a, a sacrament in and of itself, but it's tied to the sacrament of baptism. And the church's teaching is very clear that both the baptismal priesthood of, of all the baptized and the ministerial priesthood of clerics both partake in the threefold office of Jesus Christ as priest, prophet, and king. Mm -hmm. So because of that baptismal priesthood that the, the laity hear those words at the offertory, pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. So it's it's little points of doctrine like right. that. Right. We want to rekindle in the laity's mind. So, for example, why do I come to Mass a few minutes early before it begins? Well, to have private reflective time, make an act of contrition, uh, etc. Yes, true. But also you come a few minutes early to make that particular willed intention that you're offering for that particular mass through your baptismal priesthood. So little points of doctrine like this, uh, the importance of dress. Do we dress appropriate for the liturgy? Of course. Oh, of uh, course. Of course. When we receive, when we receive reverently, uh, uh, whether on the hand, which Holy Mother Church permits, or directly on the tongue, which Holy Mother Church permits, um, do we do it? properly and reverently. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I, I've had people come up to me saying, oh, communion in the hand is a blasphemy. And I say, oh, really? Well, number one, Holy Mother Church permits it. 
Number two, I can tell you right now as an itinerant preacher, I've seen some people receive more reverently on the hand, truly making a Eucharistic throne, than I've seen some people receive directly on the tongue with just a, a nonchalance, laissez-faire attitude. But without a doubt, without a doubt, if I may interrupt just for a second, I know we have sure. to go for a break, but and we'll pick this up on the other side of the break. But the other the other inspiration I've always reflected on when it comes to the question of receiving in the hand, receiving on the tongue is the the agent that is the uh, the form of reception. What mm -hmm. role does it have in your own sinfulness? And yeah. I, my experience has been many times we are more guilty of sins from our tongue that come from our tongue than come from our hands. And that's something yeah. people need to reflect on. Yeah. Right? So these are these are little points of, of doctrinal truths that we need to share during this three year revival. Amen. Amen. Yeah, let's let's continue on the other side of the break. This is Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. His Excellency is speaking with Father Wade Menezes, a father of mercy, and we will be right back for more of this fantastic conversation. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. His Excellency is speaking today with Father Wade Menezes, a father of mercy who, uh, along with uh, Bishop Frank, will be speaking at the Connecticut Catholic Men's Conference, which is on September 24th. And the website, by the way, is ctcatholicmen.org. Excellency? Yes, yes. Um, and I, everyone who's listening, who lives in Connecticut, the men come to the conference because it's a great opportunity for spiritual reflection, prayer, fraternity, and encouragement one to the other. Part of the difficulty is many times good people look around and say, am I the only one doing this? Am I the only one taking this seriously? Are there other people out there? It's like a World Youth Day experience in miniature. When you go and you see a, a thousand other men there, you form friendships too and relationships. So I strongly urge every man who's listening to this, 
who was within driving distance of Northwest Catholic High School outside of Hartford to come to that conference and to listen to Father Wade. I'm coming along for the ride. You come to listen to Father Wade. Now, having said that, I have a very um, perhaps a poignant question to ask you. Sure. In my experience in pastoral ministry, I have found that many a person has greater difficulty forgiving themselves than forgiving their neighbor. To believe that God is merciful to them, then he could be merciful to a neighbor who has offended them. And when we speak about the mercy of God, it's easier for them to accept that it's poured out upon everybody else but me. So I'm sure you have run into this in your ministry. How would you, how would you respond to that? I, I would tell the person, be careful not to make yourself your own savior. Mm. Because you're not, you're not mm. your own savior. And you're going to run the risk of wallowing in the mire of, uh, of a, a, a pity party that there's no hope for you. And that could lead to despair. And we mm -hmm. surely don't want that. We don't want the sin of presumption on God's mercy, but we surely don't want the sin of despair either. You know, uh, and I would then ask the person, what, what is holding you back from believing that God can forgive mm -hmm. you, that God can heal you? There's a great quote, uh, Bishop Frank, from the Holy Curie of ours, St. Jean-Marie Vianney. He says, the person of true sanctity, true holiness, is the one who is just as consciously aware of the dark side of himself as he is for his need for the grace and mercy of God. He holds both in a balance. And that's a great quote. The person of true holiness, true sanctity, is the one who is just as consciously aware of the dark side of himself as he is for his need for the grace mm -hmm. and mercy of mm -hmm. God. He holds mm -hmm. both the balance. Why is that important? Because if all we do is focus on the dark side of ourself, mm -hmm. that there's no hope for because of that dark side, whatever that is, that could lead to the sin of despair, despairing of God's mercy. But if all we do is focus on the love and grace and mercy of God, all the while still sinning and trying not to make any sincere correction in our life, that could lead to the sin of presumption on God's mercy. So isn't it very Thomistic, like St. Thomas Aquinas always teaches, virtue is found in the via media, the middle road. We don't mm -hmm. want to go too far one way or too far the other. Mm -hmm. Don't make yourself your savior. Jesus died for all. I, I have one good priest friend. He says, uh, he tells people, his people, not to put themselves on their own cross. He says, if you want to put yourself on a cross, that's fine. But you make sure it's Jesus's cross because he's the head and you're the member of the body that's on that cross. He says, when you put yourself on your own cross, you make yourself miserable and you make people around you miserable. So he tells them, he says, get off your cross. We need the wood, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Get your cross. We need the wood, but that's their own cross, you know. Right. But right. put yourself on Jesus' cross and know that what what that cross did for all all of humankind. Right. Right. Well, thank you for that. I mean, that's that's extremely helpful. What I also, in my own way, could add to that is my experience has been that those who struggle to accept the mercy of God in their own life have been wounded in some way. And that wound still is there. It's kind of festering in some ways. You said about good parents. 
my experience has been that people who are not blessed with two parents that really have been affirming and loving from when they were little children carry wounds, right? And we speak of a heavenly father, right? But then if my earthly father or mother did not show me any sense of my own self-worth or my own lovableness or, or willingness to forgive me when I did, and we all mess up when we, we're young people, that makes it all the harder to say that there's a heavenly father who would do that, right? This, and, and, my, and my response to those individuals is to say, um, there's got to be someone, we have to pray for someone to come into your life who will walk with you and show you what perhaps you have not yet had and allow you to face that wound. Not alone, because most people won't face it alone. Right. But with accompaniment, that's why, again, what Pope Francis speaks of accompaniment, as did St. John Paul, accompaniment is so critical. In the end, I, this, if I may, you go and offer a retreat mission and you're giving spiritual food, you're feeding people, and then you leave. And I, get, I wonder to myself, do the people sitting there heed the admonition that they have to do for one another what you're asking them to do? Like, when you leave, their work begins. Yeah, right? that's a good and, point. Is it, right? Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, you know, it's it's really the pastor and the people who continue on the spirit of the parish mission that was preached for those five or six days. And the missionary departs, as you said, you know, uh, and it's up to the pastor to continue carrying what I call carrying that torch, that flame of what whatever the parish mission message was. Maybe it was a mission on marriage and family. Maybe it was on, on the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was um, uh, on on the uh, a proper work ethic, the importance of work, uh, uh, especially from the teachings of John Paul II, you know, the dignity of human labor, wh- whatever it is. And then, then the, the pastor has to carry that. It is important, I believe, because confession is so much an important part, along with the Eucharist, of the healing process that you're referring to that some people need because of woundedness. So however that woundedness came about, regardless of my parish mission topic, I'm very clear to stress that we need the sacraments in our lives. And it's interesting that out of all seven sacraments, only two can be received over and over again with much regular frequency. And that is Eucharist and reconciliation, holy confession. Why is that? Why does Holy Mother Church, the Bride of Christ, give us those those two over and over again? Well, because these are the two that are healing. These are the two sacraments that are healing. These are the two sacraments that are sustaining in our vocation and state in life. You know, baptism, confirmation, and holy orders are only received once. That's it. The other two sacraments, apart from Eucharist and confession that I've already mentioned, you know, matrimony and the anointing of the sick, they can be received again, you know, for example, if one spouse dies, they can remarry. But it wouldn't be with a lot of frequency, anointing of the sick and and, uh, matrimony, anointing of the sick, whenever one begins to be in danger of death because of sickness or old age, they can receive it again. But, But with Eucharist and reconciliation, well, we know we have daily mass, so the Eucharist can be received daily, you know. Uh, the, 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 the holy tradition in the church of confession is confession once a month. How beautiful is that? Her precept law is once a year in preparation for your Easter communion. But nevertheless, we can receive it over and over again. These two sacraments sustain us in our vocation and state in life, and they help heal us for that wounded process of, of moving from woundedness to healing. 
So what, regardless of the topic of the parish mission, I stress the sacraments, especially those two, as, but all seven sacraments, as the ordinary channels for God's sanctifying grace. God desires us to become the best version of self so we can become the best evangelizer we're called to be for his good work for the world. What's holding you back from being that best version of self? Again, you can't give to another what you don't first possess, right? You have to possess it first if you're going to give it to others. If you're going to give love to others, you have to love yourself. You have to possess love yourself. So what does that mean then? Let, let me interrupt for a second. So sure. uh, to properly love myself, uh, I'm 17 years old. I'm a young man coming to you and say, Father, you and your talk said we have to really love ourselves. So explain to me, how do I do that? Number one, see yourself, begin to see yourself as a child of God. You're old enough. You're 10 years now beyond the age of reason. Mm -hmm. God has made you a young man with an intellect, a will, a memory, an imagination. What are your natural talents? What are your natural gifts? Mm -hmm. How do you treat others? Do you mm -hmm. treat others the old golden rule, right? Treat others mm -hmm. as you would have them treat you from our Lord's gospel. How are you faring in that? Be doing a self-honest assessment. Uh, how are you faring in, in that golden rule? Begin there. Um, how often do you receive those two sacraments of reconciliation and, mm -hmm. and Eucharist? Are, are they prominent in your life? You're old enough now. You're, you've entered into your young adulthood. Um, questions like that. Meet, meet them where they're at at a very human level, but realize, help them realize that that human level is called to greatness with God's sanctifying grace. We take the ordinary and elevate it to extraordinary. You know, we're called to become actual participators in God's own divine life. That's pretty powerful. That, that's a powerful statement of doctrine right there. We're, through, through God's sanctifying grace, the sacraments received worthily. We're called to become actual participators, capital A, capital P. In, in 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 God's own divine life. That that's Amen. Amen. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Amen. And Saint Irenaeus. As early yeah, as Saint exactly. Irenaeus. Without a doubt. God became man so that man may become like God. That, that's exactly. pretty powerful. Right. You know, uh, one of my favorite, if not the favorite, and I and I mean that literally when I say this, uh, numbered paragraph in the Universal Catechism, and there's over two thousand numbered paragraphs in the catechism, is number eighteen oh three. It's the definition of virtue and virtuous living. And it says this, virtue and virtue, I'm paraphrasing, but virtue and virtuous living is pursuance. And I would say this to this young man, by the way, virtue and virtuous living is pursuance of the good, the true, and the beautiful. Amen. In, in concrete daily actions with all five of the bodily powers, sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing, and the four primary spiritual powers of the soul, intellect, will, memory, and imagination. What nine great gifts these are, right? Mm -hmm. The five bodily powers, the four spiritual powers of the soul, the body-soul compositeness of the human person. To pursue the good, the true, and the beautiful in concrete daily actions with the five bodily powers, the four spiritual faculties of the soul. It could be something as mundane, Bishop Frank, as, okay, do I really need this second piece of blueberry pie <laughs> to something more serious as, wow, I need to get back to confession. I haven't been in over six months. I need to get back to confession. Pursuing the good, the true, and the beautiful in concrete daily actions mm -hmm. with these nine great gifts of the body, soul, compositeness of the human person. And then in that same 1803, and this is why I wanted to say this, 
1803, right after it states that, what I just said, there's a little bit of white space and then a one sentence quote from a church father, St. Gregory of Nyssa, second century. And it says this, and this is now this is a direct quote. I'm not paraphrasing here. Quote, the goal of a virtuous life is to become like God. Mm-hmm. In that's pretty powerful. That's number 1803. It's still that that quote from Gregory of Nyssa is still part of 1803. The goal of a virtuous life is to become like God. That's pretty darn powerful. And that brings us back to the seven sacraments being the ordinary channels of God's sanctifying grace, being the ordinary channels for that grace to make us right. actual participators in his divine right. life. In many ways, you are singing a song that I am fervent about because in many ways we are we are here in the diocese beginning to create a real strategic vision and plan to revitalize catechesis. And the prism is going to be truth, beauty, and goodness in a very intentional and conscious way. Fantastic. And just, and just, to, and just to speak to the question just of goodness and what you have just said so beautifully about virtue, um, very little is oftentimes addressed to young and old about the importance of virtue as the fundamental premise upon which grace can operate. So if your house is naturally disordered, then how is God's grace going to order it on the supernatural level? So we're given faith, hope, and charity at baptism. They are infused in us, but they have to be infused onto something just like Irenaeus, just like Gregory of Nyssa, or Cyril of Alexandria, or Athanasius, who all of them would have said, right? right? And so in the end, it seems to me that something as simple as that has been neglected for so long. And some of, of, the, of what we have seen resulting from it is a catechesis that speaks of service and service hours, apart from a conversation of a virtuous life. So what is that in the end? That's no different than a, an academic requirement. I have 30 hours of service. Well, no, you have a whole lifetime of service. What does the 30 hours have to do with anything? <laughs> right? right? St. Saint Thomas teaches that uh, we can offer our prayer, our work, and our recreation and leisure as pleasing sacrifices to Almighty God. And that's from his doctrine on the body-soul compositeness of man. Talk about the nine great gifts of the five bodily powers and four spiritual powers. He says, we don't have bodies. We are bodies mm-hmm. as human persons, as human persons. We don't have souls. We are souls. This is how intimate and intricate the body soul compositeness is in the human person. St. Thomas Aquinas teaches. And he goes on to say this, and this ties into what you're saying about service and doing. He says, look at it this way, where, where the angels are non-embodied spirits. The human person is an embodied spirit. Mm-hmm. So. We're not meant to pray constantly because it will fatigue the soul. We're not meant to work constantly because it will fatigue the body. We're not meant to recreate or leisure constantly because we run the risk of leading ourselves into many vices and viceful living. Therefore, he says, we need a balance of all three. And this is where the service comes in, that everything can be offered as a pleasing sacrifice to God. And in duty of, of love of self and duty of, of love of neighbor, okay? And love obviously love of God. The first three commandments, love of God. The remaining seven commandments, 
have to do with love of neighbor, beginning with commandment four, honor thy father and thy mother, because even though they're, they're your, they are your father and mother, they're still your fellow human being, right? So go figure, go figure. The majority of the Ten Commandments don't even have to do with love of God. The majority of the Ten Commandments have to do with love of neighbor. Seven of them do. Now, if that's not a main message in and of itself, I don't know what is. Without a doubt. God, and, wanted, God wanted the majority of the message of the, of the Ten Commandments and being faithful to them do, having to do with love of neighbor, not even to do with love of, of, of himself. So that's pretty powerful. So <laughs> whether our prayer, our work, or our recreation and leisure, and Vatican II talked about how recreation and leisure can be done not only for benefit of self, like, like sport, okay, uh, for health purposes, let's say, but also how recreation and leisure can benefit one's neighbor by getting the other involved in that recreation and leisure mm -hmm, that's wholesome mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so forth. So, so because we need the balance of all three, prayer, work, and recreation, don't forget your neighbor in the process. Mm -hmm. that's, how, that's how we live this best version of self. Mm -hmm. And that is why in the end, thank you for that summary. Excellent. That is why in my mind, when the Lord combined Leviticus and Deuteronomy and the two commandments, and in effect summarizes is love God above all things and love your neighbor as yourself. And eventually says, love one another as I have loved you, as I have loved you is the standard, right? In effect, you can't will God's good because he is goodness. But what you yeah. can do in love is give him right worship fulfill the obligations of the things he asks of you, but you also concretize it by loving your neighbor, right? So it's just, an, it's all a whole, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. right. And, and, and you know, and, and sometimes, sometimes, many times, something as simple as that has not in some, for whatever reason, people who are otherwise such good people have not really ever had that explained to them that way. So it's almost like you're running a race with one foot, with one leg, all right? It's, and, and, and I admire your ministry because in many ways, to the extent that you have the opportunity to share these insights, you're really empowering people to have two legs to run the race, like St. Paul speaks about, right? But I praise God that the people in their, in their own natural goodness, they respond well. Uh, you know, we we share stories when we come back from the road about this mission or this retreat or this conference. And one common thread in everything, Bishop, is uh, the faithfulness of the people and how they're there wanting to embrace the faith through the preached event, whatever it might have been. Mm -hmm. And there's good there. They want to grow in their faith. They want to they want to have an increased knowledge of their faith. They want to practice their faith. Father, I never heard that before. Thank you so much. Or Father, I haven't heard that in years. And it's such quite a, a, a simple principle. And you know, this or that. And, and that's why I'm really looking forward to the Eucharistic revival, because we can mm -hmm. take a lot of these beautiful truths which revolve around the Eucharist uh, uh, and make them more prominent. Right. Always, Absolutely. but especially during this three year focus. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now before we end, I do want you to spend just a few minutes. Tell us about your latest book. Oh, certainly. I, I, I'm honored to. Thank you so much for asking. My newest book is Catholic Essentials, a guide to understanding key church teachings. I'm holding it up there right now. Uh, it's put out by Sophia Institute Press in conjunction with EWTN Publishing and by EWTN Publishing in conjunction with Sophia Institute Press. So I'm honored to have both uh, uh, help help me get it out to the public. And what it is, it's it's 81 short chapters. No chapter is longer than three and a half to four pages. 81 short chapters on different points of key church teaching. And my impetus was this, Bishop Frank. A lot of people, Catholics and non know what the church teaches, 
but they can't always articulate the why. Mm -hmm. So these short, curt, to the point chapters are like the one-two punch of the why on that particular doctrine, the why on that particular doctrine. So for example, some of the chapters that I think people will find particularly interesting, and I say this just because of my own experience working one-on-one -on -one with people on the mission band, are, are these. Number one, the, the importance of a rightly formed conscience and how that is achieved. Okay, that's a chapter. Uh, the difference between mortal sin and venial sin. The theology of the body. That's an important one, I think, especially today. Uh, why is it wrong for a man and woman to live together before marriage? The harmony between faith and reason. God's mercy in the end times. The four last things, the church's eschatology. Uh, the Antichrist, what does the church teach exactly about the Antichrist as a person versus the spirit of Antichrist? Why are both important? Huh? How about baptismal priesthood and ministerial priesthood, how mm -hmm. they differ and yet how they work together? We talked about that a little bit earlier this hour. Uh, the doctrine of transubstantiation. Mercy is God's greatest attribute, according to the church fathers. The proper placement of the tabernacle inside a church, depending on the history and architectural makeup of that church. What is the hierarchy of the church's preference for the placement of the tabernacle? The benefits of making a frequent confession and others. But those are some uh, uh, titles of the individual short chapters that explain the why, uh, the importance of making an annual spiritual retreat. And not just for clerics and religious but the husband and father, the wife and mother, how about the married couple themselves taking an annual weekend retreat? The importance of the annual retreat. Why does the church teach that? So, uh, and we get that teaching, especially from Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. He, he exhorts all to take a, an mm -hmm. annual retreat, mm -hmm. even widows and widowers. You know, mm -hmm. I like to hope that my widower and widow retreats, Bishop, are soon followed by a marriage retreat. <laughs> you know? There you go. There you go. And the other thing too, is I, if I may, um, we still cling to this notion because we perhaps lack the personnel and resources that to have a spiritual director is yes. a privilege only for clerics and religious. And that is not the case. That is correct. That is correct. And I mentioned earlier in my vocation uh, story, my short vocation story, how important a spiritual director was for me, but it's by no means. And I was a layman then. I was a young layman in my mid 20s. But that's not just for clerics and religious, like like you state. It's for everybody. You know? Right, so. right, and that's a need that the church has to address in the coming yeah. years. Because I think, yeah. as people, if we're going to accompany someone, you could accompany them on the personal human level or in friendship, yeah. but you also have to accompany them spiritually. And oftentimes, people are not equipped to do that. Right. But you need someone in your life who is. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, right. I, I'd like to tell your listeners that they can find the book at EWTNRC.com. That RC stands for Religious Catalog. So the website is EWTNRC.com. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to say this about the book also is that uh, I've written it for <clears throat> Book of the Month clubs at parishes. I've written it for DREs for their catechumenate class. I've written it for Catholic high schools to use as a text. You know, each chapter is short to the point. Um, uh, men's groups, women's groups, uh, anyone who wants to learn more per se about the church's key teachings in a concise, uh, short way that presents the, the catechal teaching on that particular point of doctrine and to be able to convey the truth with others. 
Right. You know, it's interesting. Uh, if I may, Steve, forgive me. You, we are on a video link for our listeners, obviously do not know that. And you held up your book, right? And it has a beautiful cover to it because it's St. Peter's with the, lot, with the sun rising above St. Peter's. And of course, we're taping today on the feast of the martyrs of Rome, right? Oh, Which are depicted, God. right? So it's a Excellent perfect point. summary, right? Of yeah, God's mercy, go. right? It's a perfect yeah. summary of what we've been talking about. Yep. And- and that book is Catholic Essentials, A Guide to Understanding Key Church Teachings by Father Wade Menezes, who is the guest of Bishop Frank Caggiano today on Let Me Be Frank. We're going to take one more break and come back with a listener question. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, mm-hmm. love this question that came in this week. Mm-hmm. It says, mm-hmm. Bishop Caggiano, you've said in the past that you're a student of astronomy and a fan of science fiction. So I have to ask. Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, my gosh. It's like picking between my mother and my father. How do you do that? (laughs) It depends on the mood. You know, I grew up with Star Trek, right? That's what started the the, the fascination in my mind. But the the original Star Wars were were just tremendous. They just blew my mind open. So I I can't choose. That's the answer to the question. (laughs) One of life's great mysteries. Okay. (laughs) And you make so, no enemies that way either, which is a great thing. Yeah, I've learned that. If nothing else. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. So if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media. Or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. And we would like to thank Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations and Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. And Father Wade Menezes, thank you so much for joining us today. What a great conversation. Yes, tremendous. You're most welcome. Uh, Bishop, I truly, truly, sincerely enjoyed this, and uh, you kept the conversation flowing so wonderfully. You're, you're a great communicator, and I thank you for that. No, no, my pleasure. I, 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 I myself listening to you, it, it was such a wonderful reminder of the beauty of our faith. Amen. And as you say, and at the heart of it is God's mercy. So I am going to defer to you, if you don't mind. We usually end with the prayer. Yes. Yeah. Let me just say, uh, if you want to speak to Father Wade directly, you can uh, call in on Open Line Tuesday on three o'clock on the Veritas Catholic Network, or you can go to EWTNRC.com for his new book or, or, or and all of the above. Uh, you can see <laughs> Father Wade Menezes and Bishop Frank in person when they speak at the Cath- Connecticut Catholic Men's Conference on September 24th. Go to ctcatholicmen.org for more information and tickets. Great. Father Wade, would you lead us in the closing prayer today? Certainly, Bishop. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, through your Son, in the most Holy Spirit, O blessed Trinity, give us the minds and hearts that you desire us to have to not only become the best version of self, regardless of our vocation and state in life, but also to be proper and true vessels of your love given to others. Guide us in our baptismal and confirmation graces sustained by the Eucharist, these three beautiful and wonderful sacraments of initiation. Help us always to know your great love for each one of us personally as your sons and daughters. 
we make our prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Father, wait, thank you. I look forward to seeing you in person in a few months, but thank you for being here today. Yeah. Ditto. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. And Steve, enjoy the the coming uh, time in summer, huh? Thanks, Excellency. You too. Get some rest. (laughs)